Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Josh Eberly, a professional trail runner for Adidas Terex and the head coach of the trail running team at Western Colorado University, which is the focus of our conversation. We get into the details of how the team has been built, how it's structured, how they train, how and where they compete in the trail and ultra world. For example, they just had six of their athletes competing over in Austria at the Terex Infinite Trails Race. What it's going to take to expand this model to other colleges and universities across the country and much, much more. Before we get started, though, this episode is brought to you by Kodiak Cakes, Gnarly Nutrition and Inside Tracker. Use code SINGLETRACK15 for 15% off Kodiak products. Use code SINGLETRACK20 for 20% off Gnarly Nutrition products. And go to InsideTracker.com backslash SINGLETRACK for 20% off their products. With that, let's get started. Josh Eberly, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Single Track Podcast. Thank you for having me. Good uh, opportunity to share some stories and advice, maybe. <laughs> I don't want to bury the lead, which is the fact that you coach a college trail running team, and we're going to get into all the details about that. But I do think it's important to provide some backdrop for how you got into this position, your influences, your philosophies. And I was listening to a podcast you did a couple of years back, and you mentioned being on the Hanson's Brooks running team. And for any folks that aren't familiar, because this is a primarily trail running audience, can you talk about what that team is and what they do and then how that experience influenced what you're doing now at Western? Yeah, funny that you mentioned that because I uh, I just I just listened to your interview with Desi and uh, it was funny. I was just tr- trying to remember. I remember I was on the team when she first came and joined the Hansons, and I was just remembering little Desi coming from Arizona, you know, getting <laughs> her feet wet, and and now she's you know everyone in the trail running world or road running world uh, knows who Desi is. So it's pretty cool to see her progress through the program, but uh, pretty neat uh-huh. to see those first sort of inception uh, views of. Um, they weren't always like that. You you know, it takes hard work and many years to, to build the successes. And one thing I always said with my athletes and my old coach always said that this was, there's no such thing as overnight success. So it's, it's funny because all of a sudden you see someone win and, and you don't realize you don't see all the work they put in beforehand. So you just think, Oh, they're naturally gifted um, but it's really cool to have that sort of connection with Desi, uh, at the Hansons. But anyways, I, I had a great opportunity to join them, uh, right out of, right out of college in, uh, in 2004. Um, I actually made the, the senior team, senior world team for cross country, uh, in 2004. And so I went to Belgium uh, to race uh, world cross. I did the 12 K and on that team, there was uh, an athlete for running for the Hanson. So Kevin and Keith were actually in Belgium and he was my roommate, Richie Brinker. And that's basically huh, the whole introduction I had with Hanson's Kevin and Keith. They looked at the roster of all Americans on the 12 K and the 4 K. Cause back then we had the two distances and they said, 
you're the only one not associated with a team or a sponsor. Um, and they're scratching their head. They're like, would you want to come out for a visit? And uh, I had no clue what the Hansons really were. But uh, that was our first introduction. And they, you know, I, I flew out, I think, literally two weeks after Worlds and, and got the whole uh, the lowdown of where the trails were, where the tracks at, you know, the houses, all the resources, all that good stuff. And, um, and uh, I was all in, I was all in trying, you know, going for it and saying, Hey, this is really, yeah, this is my next step for um, my own personal goals, you know, to hopefully ignite something um, Mm -hmm. above and beyond what I was just doing, you know, right out of, right out of college. So great opportunity. Um, I, yeah, it's amazing. My, the time there, I was there from 2004 to 2007 for three years. And uh, the friends I met, uh, the environment that we had, you know, you always start to think back about uh, these great experiences. And I think it always revolves around the people that make up the, you know, that that are the makeup of it. And I had, you know, a great group of athletes and friends and Still to this day, I, you know, we, we talk a lot uh, to the friends I've made back in Michigan. Um, but, you know, honestly, going into it, it was different training from what I was used to in college, obviously. And I was a little hesitant, you know, hesitant on, on really buying into the program. But I thought to myself, and, and this is maybe some advice for you listeners out there but if you're if you're in a program definitely buy into it a hundred percent if you don't you're sort of you 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 know you're 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 not doing yourself justice um get you know get to another program move to another school and, and buy into that program but i think that was one thing for myself that i had to do to really believe okay this is going to take time I got to do their training and I have to, you know, do this, the group training as well with, with everyone. So that was a big thing is just buying into something new and trusting that process that uh, there'll be ups and downs, but that's Mm -hmm. one thing I I definitely learned along the way. I think, I think the Hansons are, uh, they're, they're known for their marathon specific intensity in their program so i learned so much about myself as an athlete my limits but more selfishly how to correctly train for a marathon the right way i think well i'm curious because it seems like your experience at hansen's was an incredibly formative time in your running career it left you with a lot of impressions and I'm also curious because we don't really have this culture in the trail scene. Like as we'll talk about later on, you're the coach of this trail running team at Western, but this model certainly doesn't exist yet in a co-located format at the pro level. What were some of the the modes of being and just just the benefits of being on a team that uh, you you got from Hansons that you think can and will translate well over into the trail running world? Yeah, yeah, I th- I think um <laughs> I think the resources were were number 1. You you know, um back then, I'm not sure how it is now, but if you were an A athlete, you got 
housing paid for, health insurance. You got uh, top priority to work at the running stores part time. Um, so to really balance out your athlete to, you know, financial situation, not everyone can make it in the road running circuit. So yeah, to have a little income, working the shoes, being in the environment, um, having a structured, you know, a structured environment for training is huge. Um, you, you don't really have to think about it. You know, you meet with the coaches, everything's set up logistically, the travel, the training, you basically just have to show up and put in your work. And, and that's one thing that, um, that I had a lot of athletes, you know, this is my eighth year as head trail running coach. A lot of athletes, when they graduate from four years of our trail running program, and that next year after they graduate, they come to me and they say, it's so hard. It's so hard. We, you, you made it so easy. You know, it's, <laughs> you just showed up and you know, we traveled to races and logistics were taken care of, food, all that stuff. So, you know, obviously any kind of program or group program like that, it, that, that, that's number one. You just have to sort of show up and buy into it. Um, but the stuff I learned was, was just that. I think the, you know, the Hansons, they sort of doubled down on specificity for sure. And that's one thing I took in my own sort of realm, uh, selfishly about, Hey, these guys have something, something right. You know, the knowledge of what terrain or course you're training for, uh, the paces for the marathon, you know, it's, it's really calculated how, how they, uh, they come up with these, these segments of, of, of training. So I try to really reproduce a lot of that stuff in my own, not to the extreme of what Kevin and Keith do, but, um, I, you know, we'll get into it more later for my philosophies and stuff. But uh, again, like when we were at Hanson's, we used to go to Florida for the winter, you know, whatever that looked like three to four weeks, five weeks to go to Florida, getting some good, you know, cause in Michigan it's snow on the ground. You can't really adapt to any kind of heat adaptation. Um, what else? Boulder. We went to Boulder right before um, U S cross country champs. We were there for, two or three weeks beforehand. So a lot of that, you know, normal sort of group adaptation for climates and, and whatnot that we hit. Um, you know, if you train for like a marathon like Boston, they really reproduce all the training grounds to mimic Boston as close as you can. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff I sort of just really absorbed as an athlete and really paid attention on the success they had while doing that because it, it is important to sort of mimic the profile the distance the heat all the other little you know variables that you have in in road but now way more variables in trail right we got we, we right. don't yeah we don't have just a little bit of hill we have technical terrain downhill running uphill running nutrition like regular running heat salt like you can go on and on so it's, it's pretty cool, but yeah. I've always wondered, cause I've been shouting out this idea of trail running teams into the ether for like a year now, and I'm not sure how much of an appetite there is at the pro level, but one of the interesting issues with this structure that I've 
had told me recently is that because trail running is so uh, climate-wise, geographically, surface-wise diverse, and the events are so diverse that it would be hard to get like the same seven or eight athletes to agree to live and train in the same place and organize around the same events. Do you see that as a significant hurdle? Like when you were on Hanson's Brooks, for example, was it easy to rally athletes around the same events and also to around the same type of training? Like, do you see that, do you see any risk for breakdowns and differences there if this were to happen? Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of risk, but I think, I think the reward is, is just that. I think, um, I think with that group mentality and the other athletes on the team coming from, you know, whatever coach or hierarchy system you have really makes a big difference. And I, I never saw at Hanson's really that, you know, that this segment, you know, we're going to have Chicago marathon segment. And that's like 90% of the athletes buy into that. Right. And then, or Boston segment for the spring, you know, 90% of athletes buy into that. So there wasn't too much conflict, you know, on, on that part of it. Um, it, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really see too much. Yeah. Too much around that. That would be too risky. Yeah. For me. Well, I think to set the table for the rest of the conversation, we should introduce your current position and where you're at and what the day-to-day -day looks like. So maybe just for a minute here, do a little bit of an elevator pitch on, uh, your current title and how you're involved in trail running. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is my uh, this is my eighth year as head trail running coach at Western Colorado University, um, and it's under the Mountain Sports umbrella program, which is not the NCAA. It's our own unique program that we house seven different disciplines underneath. So we have trail running, mountain biking, rock climbing, free ride, Nordic. Alpine, we have those those disciplines underneath our mountain sports. So I luckily got into uh, the position. Uh, we can go down that road, you know. I think later on, but uh, I've basically just been almost at inception of the program. The program was only I think two or three years old when I came in uh, when I came on board and. Uh, and yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a fun wild ride of of what um, partnerships, financial um, opportunities for you know valuing our program uh, via university standpoint, <clears throat> and and then and then the the different types of teams I have year to year uh, really keep me on my toes as as a coach and and keep me pretty stoked and happy. Um, that it's not the same people every every year you know we have a different a very diverse different kind type of group that comes in sort of every every other year and then i sort of balance that out on on those athletes that we have um to correspond with training and races and and whatnot so the team and the athletes like i said before the environment really make a difference about um about paving the future to 
for this team. So it, it, it is dynamic, right? It's not the same thing. It's not yeah. cut and dry every year like NCAA. We're going to have conference, regionals, nationals. We got this, you know, we got these athletes. It's it's pretty dynamic in that sense of, of you know, uh, um, levels of competitions and and fitness abilities too. Yeah. Certainly there are listeners out there that are very familiar with you and what you do at Western. Um, but for whatever reason, you just recently came on my radar and I find this absolutely fascinating. And I know just from what you've described there that the program is relatively well-established. It, it's at least eight years old. And I guess I'm wondering why is, why is Western so unique? Like why aren't there other similar programs out there? Why are you on your own island in all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. And and honestly, I, I think it came down to um, the vision of one or two guys that that really created this vision that they had for mountain sports. And I think it all really started when um, when one of our local guys, Dave Weens, he's he's sort of his, you know, claim to fame was he beat Lance Armstrong, you know, on a mountain bike race. And, you know, he was a, he's a world, you know, mountain biker on its, on, on himself. And his wife is, is a world champion as well, or world medalist, I think. Uh, so he's known in the Valley as, as this high end athlete, mountain biker, visionist. Uh, but him and some, some other sort of big donors were talking one day and they just said, how can you compete against Durango, which is Fort, Fort Lewis College, uh, in mountain biking? And Dave Weens basically just said, we can't because they have the opportunity to ride their bikes 12, years, uh, 12 months out of the year. We can't do that in Gunnison because we have this thing called winter and <laughs> Durango has it too, but they, they don't have it as, you know, as harsh as, as us. Um, so anyways, Dave Wayne's basically just said, no, yeah, we can't, we can't do this. Uh, however, what we could do is have sort of this mountain sport program where we have the mountain bikers transition into snow in the winter mm. and, and keep that fitness. And then after, you know, when the, when the snow melts, get on their bikes and hit the dirt and keep that level of fitness high instead of taking the winter off and losing everything that you built so that was really the inception that dave weens had for the program which was really cool because at first the early years were were mountain biking free ride and nordic skiing for the three disciplines and that worked for you know the first year and then they they looked at it and they said how can we make this better we need to you know we need to double, you know, double dip on what we're doing here or ante up. And, uh, so they started adding different disciplines. So the trail running got added, the Alpine got added, the ski mountaineering got added. So these, you know, the different disciplines started adding up and they said, you know, this actually makes more sense now because of where we're at geographically in Colorado, you know, we're in this Valley, sort of sandwiched between these two, you know, these peaks and these mountain ranges, the West Elks, Monarch Crest, 
You know, we got Taylor Canyon, Crested Butte. We have all these amazing extreme environment uh, right out of our, our backyard. And for a university not to have something that those athletes can really buy into or get into other than NCAA was, was head scratching for, for like Dave Weens. Um, so he, he really, he really, after that first year or two, they said this could work. And now what, what, what do we need to do now to make it better? And so then they added disciplines. They tried to add a little more private donors. And then on that third year, they really invested in, Hey, we need to get high level coaches and structure on each of these teams. So they reached out to, you know, the Rolodex that they had back then. And they, they connected, uh, uh, the resources that they had and, and, and got on board what we have today. Every single one of our coaches on the program is a high level athlete themselves. Uh, and not just like a history teacher or a math teacher doing this just because they need to fill the void. It's yeah. very specific to the discipline. And I think that what, you know, separates it, uh, I got to say, one of the many things that fascinates me here is just the nature of the mountain sports program and how it encourages athletes to be multi-sport. And I'm curious if you have an opinion here, like given that you've had the chance to see these athletes develop through their four years at Western, do you think that they're, they're better off switching it up season by season in terms of the sport they take on, like switching from cross country in the fall to like schemo in the winter to maybe running again in the spring? And I'm asking this knowing that like the typical reality for a collegiate runner is to just be running throughout the calendar year, cross country, indoor, spring track. So I'm curious if you've seen any noticeable differences there in athlete development. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think think I've seen uh, less of a burnout for sure when you have a a winter sport to, to jump on. And, and like we said at the beginning, the NCAA, some athletes are made for that all, you know, their whole identity sort of envelops around the NCAA for their whole career. It's funny because when you graduate four or five years from that university and you get asked, Hey, what did you do in, in college? Most of those athletes say, Oh, I, I ran or I, you know, I played football or something like that. And they, they usually, you know, second tier, they always say, you know, oh, my degree was in, you know, graphic design or, or whatever. Um, so anyways, the identity takes over their whole, their whole life um, uh, in, 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 in college. And so that was one thing, you know, a lot of athletes can do that fine. They can balance the indoor track, the track, cross country. Mm. Some of them a little too much, you know, a little too much pressure, a little too overwhelming. And, and you see that burnout. What's really neat about that, this mountain sports program is, is we do have that winter sport migration or transition athlete that come in in the fall, hit the trails or mountain bike, and then the winter comes and then they go to free ride or they go to ski mountaineering or they go to Nordic or Alpine. And yeah. that, I, th- I think that's a good balance for the athlete mentally 
you know, physically, yeah, they get burnt out, but more mentally, it's, it's a lot of running, a lot of running. And then boom, the snow comes, then they get, then they get stoked for the snow. And then it's funny when, when March comes around and the snow melts, they get burnt out on the snow and they're like excited to get on the trail. So then they come and join us in the spring for, you know, for the last couple few months of the spring for, uh, for mountain sports. But it's it's pretty neat that they that they have that balance and as you can see the Europeans they do it they do it easily that's one of their main things that they do in the winter so you know I would love <laughs> I would love to have all my trail athletes transition into sort of, sort of like a schemo sport in the winter where hey maybe we do three days of schemo and three days of running and keep the fitness sort of balanced that way. Um, and that's just sort of been talk, just me and some athletes and some other colleagues I have, but, uh, in a perfect world, that'd be pretty cool, you know, um, to do that. But I do have athletes that stick around the whole winter that we do have, um, a good group that trains still every day, Monday through Friday through, um, November all the way to, to May through the winter to into the spring. And we, we change up our, our routine a little bit. We work on some agility stuff, uh, some shorter stuff. And then we do take advantage of getting out of town every weekend or every month to get on some dry trails to, to race. Um, but we try to keep it a little fun and, and not super serious on the, on those months. I think that that really helps us sort of balance out that that burnout for sure. We, we've also done some snowshoe racing in January and February, which oh, cool. is tough as hell. It's so tough, but it does it does create this like other hey challenge of it's hey let's just try this. It's a fun adventure, right? <laughs> that reminds me too of all those Iditarod races up in Alaska and Canada, for example. And could you convert some training for those events up there? Um, but one other thing I wanted to ask you on the, on this topic and, and for context, I'm based in Salt Lake city, live about two miles away from the university of Utah campus. So what you're doing at your school is, is very interesting to me because it doesn't exist yet at the U. Um, do you, if you had to guess, assuming that there's just a lot of theories going around about what can and can't work is your current best guess that the blueprint for making this intercollegiate is to introduce some sort of mountain sports program at other schools. So basically to follow your same model, or is it going to be unique? No, I think to make it work, it would just, it'd be just that we, we would have to introduce some sort of governing, governing body with a board and bylaws and something that is top down because right now what I see that's happening in the, in the last eight years of trail running clubs and some teams or whatever that I hear, you know, other athletes have been reach out, reaching out to me. Other coaches have, Hey, how, how can we get this into our school and university? And, and they're all sort of going a different way. You know what I mean? Right. And it's, and it's it's great. First of all, it's great for the the athletes, and that's number one. But actually, for the vision of having trail running as intercollegiate activity, it 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 wouldn't. It's not going to work that way. So 
you know, we've I've had several meetings with my admin about really trying to figure out that blueprint, something to get together so we can basically hand it off to the other universities and say, hey, look at these metrics. Here's our financial plans. This is what we're spending on each sport. You know, this is how trail running does it. This is how climbing does it. And and just put everything very transparent on the financial part of it, how structured um, the each each training day is, mm. um, what the university risks are, what their benefits are, um, and sort of what we do. And again, that this is all talk, and we've had multiple meetings about trying to put together something. But again, it's it's a lot of work for you know for a couple people to put together you know, all these stats and, you know, you know, papers and history and numbers. Uh, but I think that's where it sort of needs to, to start to hand off uh, to other universities to be successful. Um, but yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Trail running, intercollegiate, you know, any of these, any of these, you know, geographically located colleges should have a trail running team. You know, CU, CSU, Wyoming, Utah, um, you know, Durango, Fort Lewis, you know, and that's just, you know, within our sort of four corners um, and start there um, and then just sort of build off of that. But I, that's the tough part is coming up with something to get out there to the to the universities. But that that's where it needs to go. Governing body, bylaws, board of directors and and really start to say, all right, universities, who, who wants to buy in? This is what we have to do, you know, sort of thing. I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now. It's a little bit philosophical, but it's amazing that for this unique four-year period of our lives, we, we live in close proximity to each other. We're like in the dorms. We're on these teams. We're eating all these meals together. It's incredibly social. And then just like that, we're like thrown into this world of rugged isolation and individualism and we're kind of on our own. And uh, I think part of the reason why I'm excited about this conversation is just the fact that um, it also doesn't have to end at college, right? Like hopefully this conversation inspires brands and stores to, to think about how they can increase community at the, at the competitive elite level of the sport as well. Um, one, one thing I want to, where I want to take the conversation next is, uh, is how you got into coaching and, and Particularly, maybe we can start with uh, what excites you about being a coach and, and what inspired you to want to take on this role at Western? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I ever found myself, you know, being in charge of like a trail team or NCAA team or whatever. You know, I, I, this path for me definitely just sort of, you know, came to me uh, by by sort of accident. And and here we are today. So, you know, even when I was younger at, at the Hansons and, and going through it, I always, always thought like I wanted to take control of my own coaching. I wanted to really hone in on, okay, at Hansons, how are these guys, how are these guys planning training for the, all these athletes? How are, how are these individual athletes responding to training? Where do the athletes come from that are responding better to the group training? Yeah. 
And I, in my head, not to get deep though, I, I really thought about that a lot. And I, you know, one great thing about Hans's was it was all, you know, it's group training. It is absolutely group training with not a ton of individual um, plans or personalization. And that was one thing I said to myself, if I ever find myself in a coaching position with a group, I would love to have the bulk of it be group. But I know deep down that I need to have that personalization to, you know, for certain athletes. And so, um, you know, the opportunity came about when I got back from Hanson's, I hung out in Gunnison a little bit, did my own stuff. You know, I was training myself. Uh, I was my, I've been my own coach ever since I've left Hanson's. And so I was just sort of, you know, dabbling with running with the Western crew, the Western cross country and the track team off and on. And then I knew the head coach pretty well. So she hired me on to be assistant coach. So I was assistant coach for the NCAA program for four years. Mm. And, and that was fun being a mentor, uh, talking to the kids, giving them advice, um, really fun. And that, and that's really, you know, that was a, a little spark in my head. Like this is sort of neat. If you had opportunity to take over a program, you could call the shots and, you know, you ask any assistant coach, um, you had to bite your tongue quite a few times on, you know, if I were a coach, I would do it this way, you know, or if I was head coach, I'd do it that way. Um, so at one level, it's, it's, it's great to be an assistant coach to see how stuff is run. But the other point, you're like selfishly saying, oh, I wonder if I did something different, if they would be better or worse or whatever. Uh, so anyways, after four years, uh, this this mountain sports thing sort of came came about. And one of my, I, I didn't know him at the time that well, Duncan Callahan, uh, which now is is one of my best friends. We just actually ran together this morning. We run together all the time. Um, he came to me and he knew I was on the fence or leaving NCAA. And he, I think I ran by his house one day and I saw him in his yard and he stopped me and he goes, Hey, uh, what do you think about, uh, being head coach of the trail running program? We're, we're hiring. And I, I just started laughing. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not for me. And he's like, no, 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 seriously. Let's, uh, let's sit down tomorrow and I'll have a conversation with you. And, and, uh, the next day we talked for an hour. Somehow he talked me into, uh, to accepting the job. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just, I was super hesitant going into it. Cause I was like, what, what the hell am I doing? First of all, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. You know, I have 25 athletes on the, you know, the team and what am I supposed to do? And, uh, and that first day I was just sort of overwhelmed with my eyes, just sort of shocked. But by the end of the week, I was all in 100% like, this is pretty cool. This is a good challenge for myself, coaching, to give back to the running community uh, and to really, you know, teach these kids, you know, the general fundamentals of running. That's the big part of it that, you know, and the structure part of, of sort of my sort of philosophy that I've been doubling down on from from day day one. Um so it's been it's been a fun ride. Um, you know, every year I'm definitely learning um, more about how to tweak stuff, um, 
how to, you know, tweak training, logistics stuff, uh, all that stuff. I'm, I'm constantly learning. I do learn from my mistakes uh, when they do happen. So attention to detail, I think, is high on my priority. Where does this fit into the rest of your lifestyle? Like is coaching something that you do full time or are there other things that you balance around it? So coaching is my my uh, my fun job, my out of the office job. Uh, I do I do coach other athletes for uh, one of my Hanson friends, Luke Humphrey. So I coach under him, Luke Humphrey running. So I have online athletes there. And then I have the, the college trail running team. Uh, but my pay the bills sort of job is my, my web development business, Run Sleep Design, that I've been doing for 18 years now. And so it, it is a good balance for office stuff and then actually outdoor rec, endorphins, get some fresh air, explore the mountains, sort of a break from, from the screen time and, and, you know, escaping that noise from, from reality, I think really keeps me, um, balanced as, as a business person, um, and productive too. I, I couldn't, if all I'm doing is just sitting in front of the screen for, 12 hours a day. I don't think I'd be that productive, but it's, it's funny how if I go out for a run and then come back or come back from practice, I just, you know, I just click and things are just naturally, you know, way more efficient because of, I think, fitness and endorphins and fresh air, which is, is pr- pretty lucky to have both of those for sure. Right on, right on. Well, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of the team. And I think we should start with how the team is structured and, and how you recruit. So can you paint a picture there of, of, of what this team looks like from a people standpoint, from an athlete standpoint? Yeah. So for athlete standpoint, you, you just, you know, you have to be enrolled at Western. Uh, I, I have some graduate students cause we have a graduate program at Western. So we have some, um, it's not all undergrad. We have some graduate students that are on the team as well. Um, so a little older, a little more experienced or, um, or tailored in the sport for sure. Um, but you know, we, we meet, it's basically nine months out of the year from the end of August, to the beginning of May to the end of April, sort of our season. And then our, our, our fall season is basically, yeah, end of August to Thanksgiving. And that's our fall season. Then we have a small winter season and then our spring season is roughly around, you know, January to, to May, it's not really, you know, the January season, February is not really spring, but I, I, I clump it in sort of our spring season because uh, those are mostly our athletes that stick around. But day to day, it's um, Monday through Friday. It's uh, three, three o'clock to five thirty, six o'clock, you know, every day uh, on the weekends. We don't race. Uh, and in the fall, we do race a lot. I think it's important to give them opportunities for experience and not every race we will go out and hit it really hard, but some races we take as more glorified training runs or an opportunity for these athletes to work on nutrition or uphill running or technical running, you know, so we, we, we try to have one of those sort of goal oriented uh, um, objectives for each of those races that we're not hitting really hard. Um, 
And then with and then the other the other weekends that we don't, we try to get out to uh, explore the mountains around us, like um, the San Juans. We did a training trip at the San Juans. Um, Crested Butte, you know, we hit up uh, 401 and Gothic Mountain. So a lot of those weekends that we don't get to race, I still try to get out early on Saturday or Sunday to provide them the opportunity to um, get out three, four hours uh, for an exploratory sort of run. And, and we provide, you know, the transportation and, and sort of snacks and stuff for them as well. But that I think that sort of helps. Um, you know, a little more incentives for the athletes to show up on the, on the weekends. Um, as far as, yeah, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into, but as far as our, our weekly structure, it's, it's very common for us to do one to two workouts a week. Sometimes we're on the Tuesday, Friday workouts. Sometimes we're just on the Wednesday workout cycle. Depends on mm. when the races are, but I do like to throw in a lot of, uh, like I said, general fitness. I think that's the foundation of running, whether it's ultra trail or mountain or NCAA. Um, so I do some speed work. We do some hill work. We do some form drills. You know, we do long runs, medium long runs. So a lot of easy runs, a lot of recovery runs. Uh, we hit core twice a week. We hit the weight room twice a week. So, you know, a lot of the other stuff, the little things uh, that I learned along my way, I think are valuable. It's not really just about the running and the mileage and how fast you are, but really give them a good structure on, um, you know, when to do what, right? Uh, and, and how to do it appropriately on the given time of, of season. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question on structure wise, but it's it's pretty cool. As far as athlete wise, we have all of our athletes are, are very similar. They're all they want to be out in the outdoors. They love running. They, some some are some have no trail experience. Some are just off the high school cross country and track, you know, seasons. So they have zero experience in the trail. Others are a little more tailored in the trail. Um, so th that sort of experience levels, I try to, you know, meet up with them and, and we try to, you know, introduce them appropriately into yeah. the trail running ecosystem that we have, which is neat. Well, I have a lot of questions for you off that. I think the first is, uh, like going back to athlete recruitment, like in, in your situation, given that this is a non-traditional program, it's not like this is UC Boulder or any of these major D1 programs that have these sophisticated recruiting operations. How are you finding your athletes? Like, are you walking around campus and picking people out or are you making trips to high school events or how does this work for you? Yeah, good question. Um, so we do, I, we do make a poster for, you know, the first couple of weeks usually of school and we hang that up. So, you know, most of, most of our athletes have already committed before that. But you'd be surprised at the level of, of, of athletes that come to me within that first couple of weeks could be from two to six athletes that can come just because they saw a poster or, you know, their friend said something. But, you know, most of the recruiting is word of mouth. That's, that's our part. Word of mouth and then, and then marketing 
and social media. Another really high important one is is showing up to these big races yeah. and having that sort of team environment and these at these coaches and the parents and other athletes they come up and they what is this is this a cross country team you know and so you got to you know inform them oh no this is the trail running program at western and then one thing leads to another we see him at another race and then they say my cousin's daughter is good at running but you know she's she doesn't want to do ncaa so you know makes a connection there so that's the big part of it uh for active recruiting i do go to uh colorado high school cross country state championship every every october uh we go there we set up a tent and more or less i'm not i'm not really like handpicking the athletes like um i got to get the top 40 uh it's more or less um getting the word out, talking to the coaches, making connections, talking to the parents. Um, and I think one thing that a lot of people overlook is that the connections you make with those high school coaches are so valuable on, yeah. you talk to them and they, and they, they absolutely say, Hey, um, these three athletes are, are NCAA athletes. These other six athletes, they absolutely love running but they don't want anything to do with NCAA. So having that, you know, always be informed with that, with the coaches and parents creates just like this stimulus in my head where I'm, I'm, I'm like, we need more of this for, you know, the alternative to running in college and that alternative to NCAA especially really gets me excited because, I've seen so much progress and success that these athletes just having that safe environment for trail, their trail running team or mountain sports team um, helps them get through college. You know, being an NCAA athlete myself, if it wasn't for NCAA, I probably wouldn't be where I am today because they helped me throughout, right? They helped me. That's who you hung out with. You know, that's what you, you hung out with on the weekends. You traveled with them a lot and they sort of made you, right? So ha having that little club, that exclusive club to, to be a part of really helps that balance of um, it's not, I'm not here just all for school, but this is another like outlet for them to breathe a little bit and be themselves, which is really neat. Do you ever envision a time in the future where you're out recruiting for athletes for your program and you're finding that the default opinion of these athletes is to go and participate in a trail running program versus these standard cross country indoor track track programs yeah i i think that, yeah that would be pretty cool um you know it, it's i guess you have to be in the right place you know at the right time to have that <laughs> you know, have that sort of conversation, but it's, I know it's a little pie in the sky, but it's, I mean, no. to me, trail running is so much more, I mean, I'm so biased obviously, but trail running is so much more compelling than other forms of running. So that's why I ask. Yeah, no. And it's cool because our, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing. Our first year we set up our, our mountain sports tent at the high school cross country um, championship. And I was thinking to myself, why, why, why am I here? I'm not going to be actively recruiting. How can I make this more engaging? 
And so what we did, we brought this like big screen TV and, and we showed on repeat like this video that one of our athletes made of one of our races. And it was really cool. Like, you know, it was big mountain climbs and, you know, everyone having fun. And, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, here's the list of how fast all of our athletes run. It's about like, you know, we go to these really fun events. We have a good time. We bag the peaks. We get fit. Um, and we're and we're competitive and have our own success. So showing that to these athletes, some of the high schoolers came up and they were just like dumbfounded on something out there that is available to to you know that that the next gen for a college opportunity. And uh, some bite on it and some don't. But I think I think to your point, yeah, the our, the true vision of it is just that it is. It's such a fun time. Like we just got back from Flagstaff just on on Sunday night, and we were there for you know three days: Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. But um, you know, just being there in that Golden Trail series competition, you know, the area, the it was just so cool to see you know all of our athletes you know be inspired, whether it was because of the other athletes there or because of the mountains or the course or the terrain uh, or the distance that they had, you know, pretty gnarly race for the 12 K and the 26 K. Um, but it, it, I think that's, that's, that's cool. It's, it's not just a track, right? It's not yeah. just a golf course. It's, you know, the course is so challenging. I think that creates a huge incentive for people to jump on board for these trail trail races. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, without a doubt in my mind, we have set and setting and overall storytelling on our side. I've actually, I've told this short story on the podcast before, but I had a guest on and I don't know why I'm forgetting their name, but they told me that maybe 10 or 15 years ago, they were at the running event down in Austin, Texas, and they were walking past the Brooks table and Brian Sell, one of the best American marathoners of all time. And Scott Jerk were sitting side by side, uh, doing autographs. And everybody wanted Scott's autograph. Everybody recognized Scott, but he's like a 245 marathoner. And there's Brian Sell, who's like 210, like by all standards, just like a better pure runner. But like everybody recognized Scott. And that to me is like so indicative of the potential of trail running and just how that arena is, is from a fan standpoint, more compelling. Oh my gosh, Finn, I can't believe you just told me that story because, you know, Brian, where I met at Hanson's, he's one of my best friends. We, we hung out with him in Breckenridge this last summer, just, you know, four months ago at dinner. He told me that exact story. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh and, it, and it was funny coming from Brian. He's just like, really? I'm, I'm this Olympian. And Brian's amazing. Brian, yeah. Brian's one of the best. One yeah. Of the best. I'm, I'm an Olympic American marathoner <laughs> and people are going to, yeah, it was funny. It was awesome. But you're so, you're just so right. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Well, anyways, one other thing I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned that going to events is one of the most important things your team can do from a marketability standpoint. Um, I'm curious, what, what do you prioritize like in the fall and the spring seasons? Like where, where can listeners see your team competing? Yeah. Um, so the fall, yeah, the fall, our big one is we do a lot of local stuff, uh, CB Ultra, Sage Burner. Um, we do, you know, every other year we sort of do Flagstaff. This year we did Flagstaff. Uh, we also did Aspen Golden 
Golden Leaf half marathon a couple weeks ago. Um, what do we got? Yeah, then we got some local ones left. But my big events for the fall are always surrounded by the Moab Trail and Half Marathon uh, in November, November 5th this year. So that's our big one for our half marathoners to marathoners. And then um, and then two weeks later is Dead Horse. And that will help satisfy my longer crew who needs an ultra, a 50K or 50 miler. And right now we're sticking with Dead Horse just because of um the mad moose runs a great events they run great events they work with us well we know the course it's you know it's four hours away so it's pretty convenient for us to get some good you know data points for us but i will say i love that marathon the trail marathon especially in moab because that is sort of like the true definition of of trail running in general that race in itself throws absolutely every type of terrain at you you know a little road running sand running uphill running technical running downhill running they have obstacle course sort of at the end where you're climbing ropes and whatnot um so it's not just that one sort of you know out and back on a dirt road and, you know, all the fast people, you know, really come out the other end, you know, successfully. Um, it's really, um, it's really challenging for me to come up with a good strategy on how to time, um, all of my workouts for the seasons to have the athletes build up and hit that very successfully. So stuff that I learned from Hanson's and whatnot to be specific as I can to the course, I try to come up with good specific workouts that will help them through Moab Marathon. And then we work on nutrition and, you know, we work on a little downhill stuff at times. So um, that one I really like in in the fall. So anyways, that's, that's sort of our fall take a break and then we have a race Jan- January, February, March and then April is our big one and that's usually uh no more than 50k. So it's anywhere from half marathon to 50k because really we can't train that well for something that long in the spring because of our lack of our trail access um that opens up, you know, pretty late for us. Uh, and that that was one thing I did learn right away. My first three years of coaching, I I said, "Hey, let's do a hundred mile. Let's do a hundred k. Let's just let's just go for it." And so we used to go to Havelina. Uh, you yeah. know, we used to go to um, the, um, there's another hundred. I'm blanking right now. Arches hundred, I think it was. But um, we used to go to these other big distance events. And these athletes train for them and then they, they run them, either they drop out or they run them and they struggle. And I, I, I soon realized that just sitting down with my assistant coach at the time saying, Hey, um, these kids are getting burnt out. They're, you know, not interested in running anymore. They're either quitting the team or, or something else. Um, And so I figured out, hey, we can't do that. That's way too long for 18 to 22 year olds. We need to dial it back and we need to, you know, really be um, um, specific on who runs what distance. 
and when they run it. So now I'm very, I have, I have a good program of, you know, if someone wants to do a 50 miler, I make sure, okay, they got to have some experience first. It's not just a kid coming from high school. They're going to jump to a 50 miler. No way. You know, they have to go through the program for a couple of years, get their feet wet in the half marathon and build up appropriately. But my vision afterwards is even if we stop them at 50 mile or the marathon for my four year program, then after college, they can use that same resources and tools Mm -hmm. to do a hundred mile, to do a hundred K. Like I've had athletes contact me a year after you know, they, they're on the team and said, I, I just ran my first hundred mile or I just ran my first hundred K or, you know, this 50 miles. So, uh, to use that same sort of the tools that you learned within the process of the four years really gets me excited on they're at least making this sport, you know, the longevity of it in, into yeah. their sort of lifestyle, which is ultimately the, a big plan, you know, it's more of a lifestyle thing, right? The trail than, than sort of that road. So pretty cool. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, and I don't have a significant background in training theory and coaching, but when I look at what uh, comparable athletes are doing just in the standard cross country indoor track scene, the, if I'm, if I understand it correctly, the longest event they're ever going to run is the 10 K which is maybe like what, like 30 to 40 minutes time on feet. And so, uh, this is still, even if you're not incorporating like the hundred mile, hundred K distance, uh, it, it's still significant to spend an hour in a race or two hours in a race or three hours. So like from a developmental standpoint, that seems to check all the boxes in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's funny because, uh, <laughs> The, the, the life, sort of the naturalized process of trail running and ultra running has always been, okay, and in college, all you do NCAA, right? You do track, you do your cross country. After college, you do your roads. And then after roads, until you get a little older, your 40s or something, uh, and then maybe I'll dabble into trail or ultra or mountain, right? And so... It's it's funny when we first started coming to these races eight years ago, the environment and the energy that all these young next gen kids were bringing to the races, were the athletes and you know the normal people that were there were just sort of like shocked that these young kids were there because they were so used to just the normal, right? The forty year olds, the fifty year olds. You know, I'm forty one years old, but it's like. To, to have the ability to get that next gen in the trail ecosystem or the mountain ultra trail at an early age is amazing for not just them, but for the sport in general. I think that is one way that we, you know, we need to sort of double down. And that's, that's the way we're just going to build off of that and get those younger kids in there, make it more competitive, make it more fun. Uh, enjoyable and, 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 you know, show that it's not just, you know, what's cool about our program is you, you can work as hard as you want, or you can show up and have work ethic and have their own personal goals too. So there's a lot of athletes that want to be super competitive and to try to go for the win or get a PR, but I have other athletes, which is awesome that want to finish their first marathon 
want to finish their first half marathon, want to finish their first 50K. And that I get, I get just as excited training them and talking to them about to the guys and the girls who want to win. You know what I mean? So to show that level of, you know, uh, diversity is, is pretty neat for our sport and to be in that environment. As you know, you've been to a road racing, uh, you know, road race before, and you've been to a trail race before, you know, nine times out of 10, people will be like, I'd want to go to a trail race before another road race because everyone's so chill and relaxed and helpful. And <laughs> right. <laughs> I, uh, I want to be conscious of your time. I just have a few more questions. Uh, you talked about how you're with, when you were at Hanson's, uh, resources make such a difference in athlete development and just your entire running career. Can you talk about the unique resources that your team has to improve themselves as athletes and, you know, whether it's from like a training standpoint or travel to races, just what they have at their disposal to, to use? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the obvious stuff, right? The coaching, um, the logistics, the lodging, the food, uh, nutrition. We're partnered up with uh, a hospital that does PT work for them uh, Monday through Friday. So if anything does come up, they have the ability to get in and, and get stuff uh, worked on, uh, which is nice. Um, and then and then now recently, uh, the partnership with Adidas Terex uh, helps them with a huge resource of shoes and gear, extra travel money, so giving that extra, you know, not to worry about, I have to spend another $150 to $200 on a training shoe. You, you remember how it was in college. You know, my first few years, I had guys r run with sh holes in their shoes and they just duct taped them because they were, you know, they didn't have the money to buy a pair of shoes. So now have them to not worry about the gear, like the shoes and, and, you know, the running vest and the bottles and the shorts and everything else that comes with it um, really helps them concentrate on showing up and getting the work done and not really stressing too much about, oh, crap, I don't have enough money. I might be injured. I might have, you know, a thousand miles on this pair of shoes. So um, that's been a huge, huge help. Um, that Terex came in and, and partnered up with, with the trail running team. So, um, and that's, yeah, that's really our, our big sort of resources, um, that, that the athletes do get, they, they do have to pay a due. So we, we charge them $600 to pay a due, but I think that's justifiable on all other attributes and, and resources that, that they get with their, with their dues. And that, and that's sort of just a buy-in, you know, commitment yeah. sort of uh, thing that we talked about before, um, w which I think is important, right? You've been in this position for about eight years now. It seems like you've made a lot of important strides. When you think about the future, what is left to build specifically at this program? Like what else do you have your eye on in terms of improvement and just build out? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was on the NCAA, I, I really tried to hone in on when we got more money, how does that benefit the athletes? And I think the athletes are the most important thing out of 
out of any of these these programs. They should be anyways. So, and again, I didn't know all of the backgrounds or the details of the NCAA and where that money went. But most of the time, the athlete, it was just normal stuff, right? And I could be missing a lot of other components where if money came in from a donor, it's not like the athletes, they were getting, you know, um, all these other benefits from it. It was just sort of like, it just went into the program and maybe they had some debt to roll up, whatever. Mm. But I remember my first year as being trail head coach, I paid attention to every dollar we got from private donors that came in. And if we got more money or more budget, the first thing on my mind was how can we use this money to benefit the athlete one way or another, to give them an extra race, to give them an extra meal, uh, you know, at a camping trip or, or give them, you know, an opportunity to, to buy some shoes from, you know, a partner with a percent off or, or whatever. So I'm, we're constantly thinking about that as money comes in because the early days, it was all privately funded our mountain sports program. And, and that year to year changed on, Hey, this person is only given X amount this year. And they gave that amount last year. So that, that really complicated things on my end on how I, how does the season look? And so now with the help of Duncan Callahan, really providing the metrics and the stats to the university to buy into and value mountain sports as a recognized program of the university, they are giving a lot more money and paying more attention to us, which helps us so much more to know our exact budget that we have every year. And, and with that new money, like, for example, right when they, they bought into us, we bought a fleet of vans and a trailer, you know, instead of using the, the NCAA vans or the university vans, we bought our own fleet of five vans and a trailer that only mountain sport athletes could use. So stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, I think um, is important to do. The other important thing is what we touched on is the intercollegiate part of it. I think those are, you know, whatever, it might be a year to five years down the road, but slowly sort of, you know, you know, get that together and, uh, and, and hopefully turn it into something that is, you know, viable where we can hold some sort of intercollegiate system, even if it is three or four teams at the first year that are buy into it. The next year it could be five or six. The next year it could be 10. So we need to start, start slowly and just, um, and just do it, you know, before, before it's too late, I think. Right on. One thing I, I totally forgot to ask this earlier and I'll be kicking myself if I didn't. Um, you've obviously had eight years of athletes through the program. Are there any notable alumni that are currently performing at the pro level that you want to give shout outs for? (laughs) Well, I, I told myself I'm not, I, I don't want to call any names out, but I, I will say we we do have yeah we do have a couple few athletes that are are sponsored um, and are really you know doubling down on their trail world and uh, whether or not they you know most of them have raised their hand and said you know thank you for giving the opportunity to launching you know my career to X Y Z which is pretty neat. Um, so yeah, we do have a few that have hit it hard and are are on that new level of of trail. 
um, other athletes is too. Again, I'm not just excited about them. I have other athletes who still I'm really excited about that just contact me or I find out that they finished their first hundred, they finished their first fifty. You know, they obviously they didn't win, but guess what? They put together a good brace plan and and they executed it well. So I think that sort of excites me just as much as as those pro runners. Uh, but yeah, we do. We have three or four uh, alumni that are are kicking butt on on the trail scene now. Very cool. Well, Josh, I think it goes without saying, but I'm so stoked that you're involved in the sport at this level and you're trying to really build something from scratch with this trail running blueprint. Uh, I hope that over time, other colleges and, and people raise their hand and adopt it. Uh, we'll make sure to link to all of the relevant social media in the show notes. Um, but are there any specific calls to action that you have for listeners before we go? Yeah, I will say one, one quick story. When I was at Flagstaff just this past weekend, I was out there cheering for a runner and this random runner runs by and he goes, Hey, you're the head trail coach. I'm excited to hear you on single tracks next week. And I was like, Oh, cool. Right on. I gave him a big high five. Uh, anyways, I just remembered that. So if that guy's out there, uh, it was That's good seeing awesome. you, you race out there. I'm glad you're, you're listening, but anyways, call to actions. Definitely. Let's advocate. There's got to be something alternative to NCAA. It's a great opportunity. Reach out to me. You'll link, you know, my, my contact stuff, yep. reach out to me, reach out to your athletic department, um, or your university and, and let them, connect with us and, and get the conversation going because I think that's what we need to make this uh, this thing really, really take off for uh, for our next gen. But um, that's the call to action. You, you don't have to join my team, but get out there on the trails and enjoy the, the mountains and, uh, and yeah, sh- share the miles with, with everyone else. Well, seriously, thank you so much for your service. I hope that this is the first of many conversations here on the pod and it's going to be fun to track the evolution of this uh for years to come so thanks again all right thank you finn